Yo, what's good everybody? Welcome back to another Gifted Hoops episode. I'm pretty sure this is episode six, I think. I'm very excited to be back. I've been working a lot and I've been working hard to get this podcast uploaded on the biggest audio platforms. Uh, Apple Podcasts just accepted me. So now this podcast will be available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and more. All those links will be in the description on the YouTube side of things. If you want to see the video version of this podcast, you'll be able to find it on YouTube every time that we record and upload. Today's episode is going to be on the longer side. I have a pre-recorded conversation that I had with my co-host of the locker room, Derek Stein, a diehard 76ers fan, where we basically discuss and talk about the team and their collapse in game seven, uh, Doc Rivers being fired, and also some future moves that they're going to make. So that's one thing. But the number two thing that I want to address in, in this podcast is obviously game one of the Lakers in Denver. And I know, I know, I know, I still have not fully dissected the collapse of Golden State in their loss in six games. It's been a lot going on, but I promise I'm going to have a separate podcast on that. I also want to address the lottery uh, that took place as well. So Let's get right into it. The first thing I'm gonna leave with before we get into game one of Lakers Denver has to be the lottery. Shout out to the Spurs, man. The Spurs officially got the number one draft pick and they will be taking Victor Wimbanyana, most likely. I mean, seven foot six guy, just freakish combination of size and skill. And I always said for me personally, Wimbanyana, if he gets drafted by the San Antonio Spurs, the fundamental parts of his game that need work and need improvement, he's going to be able to get a lot of improvement there with the Spurs. Popovich is still coaching, so he's going to get a chance to really flourish in terms of learning the fundamentals of the game and learning how to win the right way. But also, he already has the natural pop and skill and talent to his game already. So the fact that he has that already going into the league is going to be great. But now the inside stuff in terms of rebounding the ball properly consistently scoring in the paint get into the free throw line playmaking for others playing winning basketball in the system i think Wimbiana, as young as he is is going to be able to fit right in there because the spurs specialize in those types of things and i'm just happy because from an organizational standpoint Wimbiana is basically their next franchise big man right like tim duncan david robinson you now have victor Wimbiana. In a new era where threes are more of a thing that every team tries to shoot, and now Victor can fit into this mode, but defensively, the Spurs dynasty has always been built on their dedication to defense. And for Wembyana, I mean, he projects to be this guy that can be super lengthy, can roam all over the floor, block shots, uh, protect the paint. In a system like this, he's going to be able to fit in just well, and with their core with uh, Keldon Johnson, Vassell, and, and Sochan, and Trey Jones, they're going to have a roster of guys that grow together. So I really like this for Wimbiana. I do think for his development, the Spurs is probably at the top of my list. I do think some other teams I think would also be interesting. Like if, if Wimbiana landed for the Orlando Magic, I thought that would have been a freakish combination as well. But in terms of having the coach, the system, a winning franchise that for the most part is pretty stable outside of some you know, bad decisions by the front office in the last five years, I still trust the Spurs dynasty 
to raise Wimbiana in the proper way for his success for his career. And that's ultimately what I cared about. So that's pretty cool. Uh, if you are a Detroit fan, I'm for Detroit. It sucks. Uh, fifth pick. I'm, I'm pretty sure last year things did not go the right way. The Rockets got the fourth pick. Charlotte almost got that number one pick. And it was going to be very questionable. Charlotte's the number one place I did not want Victor Wimbiana to go. I think that franchise currently is a mess right now. So I think it's a W for Wimbiana that he did not have to wind up going there. But overall, the draft lottery was super, super duper impressive. And also, there's still a lot of good things to be seen. I mean, the Trailblazers landed a, a top three pick. You got to be excited if you're a Trailblazers fan that you're able to peak that high. Uh, on the Dallas Mavericks side of things, they were able to get the 10th pick, which means they keep their pick. If it fell to 11 or whatever, they would not have been able to, you know, get it. So that's a great thing for the Dallas Mavericks as well. Even though you probably would have wanted a higher draft pick, you got something. So you should be excited about that. But overall, the draft lottery is great. We will be revisiting this once the draft officially happens. But overall, great draft lottery. Okay, now quickly before we get into the 76ers side of this podcast, I do want to address the Lakers versus the Nuggets in game one. First off, shout out to the Lakers. They beat my Golden State Warriors. We were not the better team. Uh, we did not shoot the ball well against them, and the Lakers just had more things going for them. I'll be addressing the Warriors side of things later, but in terms of this matchup, I am happy to see it. These two teams are the deepest teams in the West. They have depth. Uh, this is basically the best offense in the NBA throughout the playoffs versus the best defense in the NBA. And I love this type of matchup. Jokic uh, is a sensational player. And as he makes it to the conference finals, he gets a chance to really build on that a lot more, which is great for him. And for the Lakers, I mean, you make a blockbuster trade midseason. You get a lot of depth pieces around LeBron and Anthony Davis. And so far in the playoffs, you have not lost a home game. You've been very, very productive with a chance to go to the finals. So this is a great matchup for us to watch from both teams. Uh, in terms of game one, I thought game one was amazing. Uh, Jokic just flat out dominated in the first half. Just sensational uh, play. He had like 12 rebounds and five assists in a quarter. Uh, another triple-double for the game. He's just amazing. That last second three that he hit to close the second quarter out was just phenomenal and outstanding. It was over Anthony Davis super deep, and Anthony Davis just put his hands up not knowing what to do. And for a lot of people, the conversation around this game has kind of shifted to incredible shot making from Denver and how Denver might not be able to replicate this. Newsflash for you. Denver made some tough shots, cool, but their team is known for being a, a robust and consistent offense for the most part. Sure, they might not make these miracle shots, like for instance, Jamal Murray taking that contested long two with the hand in his face over LeBron James. I think if you're the Lakers, you live with that, obviously. But in terms of them knocking down open threes and being very efficient as offense, that's what they do. I think for the Lakers, they tried to go small early to see if they could like have an offensive advantage, which is cool. But the way the Lakers beat Denver is not going to be based on that. It's going to be based on slowing the pace down and playing a more grinded out defensive game. And I think Darvin Ham understood that because in the second half, this is basically a tale of two different games. In the first half, it looked like a blowout. It looked like things were pretty much over. Even more in the third quarter, it looked as if 
LA had no life, but then slowly they got back in the game. Uh, bringing in Rui for more size, I thought always made more sense. And Darvin Ham tried out the small guard stuff. In the second half, he really played more Rui Hachimura in the lineup. And the Lakers were able to get back in the game, score more, uh, play better defense by putting Rui on Nikola Jokic and letting Anthony Davis roam. Uh, Jokic did not look to score as much in the fourth quarter, but ultimately anytime that you know la made a big three which by the way shout out to austin reeves austin reeves was sensational in the fourth quarter uh they kept giving him the same three from the same spot and he knocked that shot down over and over but every time they cut the lead from 10 to 5 to 3 to where it's a one possession game denver just found a way to, to squeeze it out if it was free throws if it was uh, a wide open jeff green three-point shot they just found ways to be productive in the fourth quarter when it mattered most. And while Jokic had a monster game, AD had 40 points. Like, I think the Lakers as a team shot a similar percentage to what the Nuggets shot from the field, and they still lost. So you can argue the semantics on who lost it more, who won it more. But what I will say is for Denver, it does favor them from this perspective because they were able to see the Lakers adjustment of putting Hachimura on Jokic and the fact that they were able to win that game if you're Denver you want to go into the film room and see how you can break the game open and see how you can counter that lineup in my opinion Jokic just has to dominate Hachimura more and take Aaron Gordon out of the dunker spot so that way Jokic has more room to operate and score in individual coverage because the Lakers idea of doing that is Anthony Davis's best trait as a defender throughout these playoffs has been providing help side rip protection. So by having Anthony Davis not centered on Jokic, he's able to do that more and it raises the defensive floor and ceiling of their team a lot more. But I do think at a certain point in the series, it's gonna come down to Anthony Davis playing excellent isolation defense on Nikola Jokic down the stretch and during the game. Obviously, you don't wanna do that for the entire game, I get that, but I do think at a certain point, it's gonna come down to that specific matchup but the question is how does Denver adjust in game two to that and considering that they won game one if they're able to take game two they will be in the driver's seat of this series so overall phenomenal game one it was good basketball for us to watch and I cannot wait for game two but those are my thoughts on Lakers Denver game one I will be having some more explicit you know podcast episodes focusing on the ins and outs of that series with some other content creators so make sure to tap in for that but i want to officially introduce the second part of this episode which deals with us talking about the 76ers doc rivers firing with my co-host Derek stein who has a podcast of his own not just drill make sure to tap into all that on, on all platforms but let's officially transition right into that i appreciate y'all support peace out what's good everybody uh it's been a while since the last episode of gifted hoops uh we got a lot of content that's coming on the way, so I appreciate all the support. We just found a way to get these episodes available on uh, Apple Podcasts now, so it'll be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you hear your audio. But I'm joined here today with my favorite co-host of the locker room, Derek Stein. Uh, he's also been back and consistent with his podcast, Not Just Dribble. Derek, say hello to the people. What's up, everybody? Pleasure to be back. Uh, and yeah, man, I like trying to stay consistent, trying to stay consistent with not just dribble and 
so far it's worked out well and the nba keeps keeps giving more and more material it, it never is never slows down undoubtedly i mean the last time i was here my favorite team was on the verge of going down 3-1 they went down 3-1 and they lost and i've been sick ever since that time so i haven't really been in the best space to get back to podcasting but we're officially here I've been taking hella medicine, hot showers, good water, but we're here because the Celtics Sixers series has officially concluded. If you want to check our last thoughts on that series, I did another podcast with Derek and also Celtics fan Keanu, who's probably ecstatic right now that her team won. But we went from a series preview to the series being over. That series did wind up going seven total games. Uh, Derek, what are your thoughts on the series as a whole before we get into the Doc Rivers news here? Yeah, so we briefly discussed it uh, on my show as well, not just Dribble, myself, yourself, and Tony Schwartz briefly discovered, discovered, discussed Game 7, and I'm still torn up about it. Truth be told, I don't know that I'll ever get over that absolute dismantling and just absolute embarrassment that I had to witness in that Game 7. But I think with Doc Rivers no longer being the coach of this team, I think experience is a fantastic teacher. So I would like to think the positive spin on it as this team will grow, get better from this situation. And we still have a, a solid roster. The East is only going to get better, but it's still a solid roster that can compete. It went to game seven with the team that I think was the best team in the East. So I feel okay. I don't feel great, but I feel okay now that I've had time to digest uh, that performance. Yeah, I um, I think the NBA continues to be a very interesting place because, you know, all around us, we're seeing these playoff series ends and a lot of teams are firing their head coaches immediately. It was kind of crazy because in Game 7 postgame, Doc Rivers said he expected to be back in coaching. And like two days later... He's fired. Um, I think for a lot of Sixers fans, they're ecstatic to see this head coach is off of their team. Uh, Doc Rivers has not been a great adjustments type of coach for you guys over the past three seasons. But at the same time, the way that playoff series went this year, I think this was really your best shot to get out of the second round and into a conference finals, probably since the Jimmy Butler teams, which ironically enough, he's in the conference finals. How do you think Doc Rivers did in this series? And do you think it's more the lack of adjustments on his part or just the team overall not stepping up when they needed to the most? Yeah, I think to your point, Doc Rivers has not been a great adjustments coach. We've got plenty of material before the Sixers to go over that would cite that. I will say this was Doc's best season, certainly. This particular season, Sixers had 54 wins, which is the most since that 2000-2001 Sixers squad with Larry Brown, AI, Matumbo. So it would definitely signal that this team was legit. You know, top 10 in offensive and defensive efficiency. Well-rounded, of course, had the MVP on the team. Harden was considered by many an all-star snub, which, you know, I didn't think so, but that's beside the point. So this was a good squad. This was a really good squad and one that was worthy of contention. As far as the second round went, I mean, we can talk about the first round. Of, you know, the Brooklyn Nets without their two stars that they started the season with. 
uh, were not up to par with the Philadelphia 76ers. So we didn't really think about the round round one. Of course, Philadelphia was thinking about round two the entire time. And as far as round two, I think Rivers did a solid job, all things considered. You have to be happy with game one. Stealing that in Boston was huge. James Harden, of course, was fantastic. And you had solid games, I think, from the team despite, like, despite the losses. So, I, you know, I refer to, obviously, James Harden had five not-so-good series. And maybe I would say, like, he had three good games, two fantastic games. Um, but, of course, the Joel Embiid injury, which that's certainly not Rivers' fault. I know that's going to be disputed because he put up 30 points uh, a game while on that injury, but he wasn't playing at 100%. And I still think that was a factor. Not an excuse, but a factor. So I think Rivers did pretty well with what he had. I do think there were adjustments that could have been made before this series that would have made this team a bit more well-rounded. Tyrese Maxey handling the ball more often than not in offensive possessions, particularly in the half court, would have been an adjustment I would have liked to have seen. Tobias Harris, you know, being maybe a more active cutter is something I would have liked to have seen for my head coach to, you know, implement. But again, these are Rivers issues that were always prevalent. We didn't lose the series because Rivers didn't make these adjustments before. These are adjustments that should have happened before, you know, before this series. And of course, Embiid and Harden putting up all-time stinker performances in Game 7, Rivers has no control of that. He can't help if Embiid can't make a mid-range jumper, and he can't help if Harden is blowing layups. No coach can fix that. So I don't put that all on on Doc at the end of the day, but I do think he did enough wrong to lose his job. Honestly, I agree. Um, as you know, I am a longtime slanderer of Glenn. Um, I have always felt that he's been a pretty inept coach in a lot of his stops from the Clippers all the way through. And I've kind of been of the mindset that like his name holds weight in the NBA in terms of uh, his 2008 championship even though his stops ever since then have not been great um i kind of just think doc rivers is at a point to where he might just be done coaching in the league or potentially be done coaching for teams that are trying to contend uh what do you feel about doc rivers history as a coach historically and even like right now in the modern day do you think he still has what it takes to still be a good head coach in the nba I don't think he's, you know, completely outdated, uh, right? I don't think he's a relic that shouldn't be touched uh, by any staff. I, I think as a head coach, his strengths are certainly building, I think, you know, easygoing relationships with his players. I think he's had, you know, decades of success with that. He certainly understands the player dynamic, being, of course, a former player himself, which is really important to have on your team. And I think he has good instincts as a coach as far as like recognizing strengths and weaknesses and really playing to those strengths i think the concerns come into really working on the weaknesses or really working and fine-tuning the strengths to their like utmost success like we saw james Harden, and joel Embiid, two very talented players uh really succeed this season as the best pick and roll duo in the nba for me 
I think of the little things that you have to tweak when you're going against tougher competition and you're expecting when your first option is taken away. We saw that in the Boston series when Rob Will was introduced into the starting lineup in game six. Now you're taking away the short roll game and Embiid is going to face more double teams because they're going to help off of P.J. Tucker. But instead of a low man being a guard or a wing, it's now Rob Will, who's like 6'8", 240, a much bigger body and a much bigger wingspan to deter passes. So like those are the things you need to prep for in the regular season because it's not like Rob Will just magically appeared in this playoff series. He's there the whole time. Uh, so you, you need to kind of like plan ahead. And that's something that it feels Rivers has struggled with over the course of his career, whether it's been in Orlando, the Clippers, Boston, wherever you want to fit, Rivers has had these kind of issues. So I think he has a place in this league. I think he's going to take some time off. Most coaches do after like the initial firing. I do think there's going to be some interest. The team I keep hearing that people want him to go to is Detroit. And to me, I'm not a huge fan of that, considering Dwayne Casey, I think, fits the mold of what Doc Rivers brings more often than not. So, like, if you're going to go off and leave the Dwayne Casey experience and then go to Doc Rivers, I don't know how much of a ceiling raising that really is. I think it would be good for a young team. I think you'll look a lot better, like, look better. You'll get 40 plus wins or something like that, which would be, you know, obviously really good for Detroit. But I don't know that that's what you want for the future right because detroit is thinking not next year they're thinking probably two close to three and four years from now that's really where their path is so i don't see the fit i think he'd be an amazing assistant coach somewhere but i don't also i don't see that happening i don't see him accepting that role yeah i i i don't exactly know what his future will be Derek. i 100 agree like I don't think that he's a terrible overall coach in terms of he can't coach basketball, but I feel like if you're trying to win a championship, Doc Rivers cannot be your lead coach. I think he's more of a guy that can get you through a full 82 game season and build good ties to players. But I think like his, his creativity in terms of offensively and even defensively leaves a lot to be desired. Like, I mean, I'll never forget game seven, not this year, but versus the Hawks, where he was doing multiple all bench lineups at a time like that type of Doc Rivers gives people a lot of headaches, especially when like there's time after time at a time where there's a half court set and no one is moving to help the star players at all. And it just leads to stagnant, stagnant offense. Yeah, and that goes back to my point, I think, with Harden and Embiid, that that pick-and-roll duo is something that's been, like, super effective and productive in the regular season, but if you don't go over the little things that you know will in- you will encounter in the playoffs, now you're not set up for success. And that's something I think we've seen before, like, especially that half-court offense that you bring up. We saw it with the Clippers in both iterations, whether it was Kawhi and PG struggling to find half court sets and we blame the lack of a true point guard right not being able to set those guys up well doc had a true point guard a few years before with chris paul and so the lob city iteration of chris paul blake griffin deandre jordan and shooters that team 
was unsuccessful. In fact, blowing not one, but two 3-1 leads during their time. The Josh Smith three-point game uh, against Houston. Great. And, of course, kind of like letting the door open for Golden State to come out and, and, you know, take over and become the dynasty they become out west. So he's had this before. And then, I mean, we go back to Orlando, and it's which just cracks me up because if you want to look up hilarious quotes of Doc Rivers not taking accountability, look no further than the early 2000s with the Orlando Magic. Those rosters are not fantastic by any metric, any era. But you have Tracy McGrady and a 3-1 lead in the Eastern Conference first round, and you can't close. It, it doesn't look good in hindsight. It doesn't look good. It didn't look good then. It doesn't look good now, basically. Uh, so these lack of adjustments when Rivers has a plethora of experience is nothing short of frustrating. You have to look at this. I mean, he has he is fourth gifted in most consecutive winning seasons as a coach. He's fourth all time. 16 straight seasons of a winning record. Do you know the, the three coaches ahead of him? Uh Popovich and Spolstra, maybe? No Spo, just only because he hasn't been around long enough. Papa's number Very one with crazy. 22. Those other two coaches happen to be Hall of Famers. Phil Jackson and Pat Riley. Mm, makes, a lot so, of sense. makes a lot of sense. Okay. That's the that's the company Doc is in from that precedence of being consistent for so long. But of course, he has one championship to show for it. Greg has five. Phil has six. No, excuse me. Phil has 11. Yeah, 11. 11 with Shaq and Kobe, and then, of course, with Michael. Uh, and Pat has five, I think, if I'm doing my math right. Five with uh, five or six with the Lakers and then with the Heat. So my point is, look, the success, is like, that's, that's the thing, right? That's the separating factor. And, of course, the Sixers, who haven't had a championship since 1983 and haven't been to one since 2001, you're not getting a coach that's getting you over the hump. And we can, I mean, we can talk about that Celtics championship, which has been ridiculed immensely. That's what Rivers is really living off of. And I'm sure there's going to be teams that are excited about potential consistency, you know, batting around 45, 50 win seasons. But as we've seen before, being just good enough, but not great, isn't where you really want to be in the NBA. You have to have... A better chance and if you're not giving yourself a better chance to win it all a lot of franchises and fans start asking what's the point yeah like i mean this is a very cutthroat league where you know pros get traded all the time and, and coaches will get fired all the time because at the end of the day the nba is a business that is about results okay we didn't make the playoffs this year next year we got to make the playoffs okay this year we have not made the playoffs. We now want to go for a deep playoff run. Okay, we've done that. Now, let's go to the finals and win. Okay, we made the finals and lost. This year, we have to make the finals and win, or we blow things up and go back to, you know, square one. Like, that's how the league goes. That's how the league really operates. And being in a state to where you're good enough to be like a six seed, seven seed, right? Like, feisty cool but you're not really expected to win 
or go anywhere. And for some teams, based on their location, uh, their popularity in terms of like their mark and the audience that they bring in, maybe for some teams that's fine. But for the majority of teams in the NBA, it's all about the growth towards a championship. And for Doc Rivers, again, like that's a crazy stat for him to be having that many wins. But every time he gets into the playoffs where you have to make these adjustments and changes on the fly, he struggles. And he kind of confuses me, Derek, because before game seven, he said we were expecting them to go to Rob Williams earlier in the series. So all we've been doing is having them practice for Rob Williams. And then they play the game and it looks like that never happened. Like he's been a very confusing coach in terms of his comments before and after big games and his explanations of what to expect, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And as we talked about with Tony and you know, the last episode we did, his practices have routinely been called by players, you know, relaxed. Like it's a lot of walkthrough, maybe a little bit of discussion, but very easygoing. And again, that's a great way for players to admire you and maybe build like trust that way, you know, a level of comfort. But the NBA has only gotten more athletic. I know old heads aren't going to be happy to hear about that, but the game has truly accelerated in pace and in style. And you can't play the same way you did even five years ago. Like the game is ever changing and it's not just a three point shot ball movement and pace and transition defense have all shifted immensely in the past eight to 10 years. I mean, it looks like a different game. We throw on clips of the early 2000s and people would think it's a different sport. It, it like the dead ball era to what we have now. It, it's it's insane. Like other sports really can't relate uh, in that way where the game hasn't evolved nearly as much. So I think you know, Rivers is maybe stuck in kind of like, I don't want to say in old ways, but I just think, especially in the playoffs, the NBA turns into a bit of a chess match. And that's where, you know, coaches can and have lost their jobs just yep. on those kind of like those, you know, dueling, uh, you know, spots and series. So, I mean, we've discussed before, there's a lot of guys out on the market right now. Mike Budenholzer, Nick Nurse, Monty Williams are all on the market. Monty Williams being in an NBA Finals, losing that Finals to Mike Budenholzer who won, and then Nick Nurse who of course has a championship. Very high profile coaches have lost their jobs off of not meeting expectations. And I think a lot of fans certainly question why Doc Rivers is given so many chances given those failures. And so the NBA having, you know, kind of a short leash, so to speak, for coaches is nothing new. But I think that this particular year, it feels like a lot of franchises are kind of hitting the panic button. I think part of that is because they sense a great deal of parity in the league. Golden State, of course, losing the playoffs. Sorry, gifted. That feels like that's opened a bit of a door in the West. And as far as the East, LeBron's no longer here to dominate. And so the East kind of feels open as well because... Before Game 7, many people were calling the Boston Celtics frauds, right? We were we were amongst them. We, we saw the fraudulent tendencies. Then you have the Bucks, of course, losing in the first round. That's shocking. The Heat, yes, they're in the ECF and props to them, but this entire regular season, we didn't take them for anything. We didn't take them as legitimate 
contenders, I should say. We didn't take right. them as serious final contenders. They'd be a pain in the ass as a round one matchup, and usually nothing more. Like, that's what we thought. So if the Heat ever get their shit together, as far as having, like, a real competitive roster, it's probably a whole problem for everybody. But there's no one player dominating. There's no LeBron. There's no MJ that just kind of clear a conference out. And there's no dynasty, seemingly, right now. So I think a lot of teams are kind of like, let's get up out of here. Let's retool, reshape, and then we could be the next Golden State. I think is, I think that's what a lot of franchises are thinking right now. It's, it's weird there because there's a, tr like all the coaches let go. I think outside of Nick nurse are all coaches that have had problems with making those adjustments. But in terms of creating a system that is consistent throughout a season and like having that body of work, these coaches have it. I mean, Bud changed the future of everything Milwaukee did as a system greatly before him, right? Mm -hmm. Doc Rivers, the system that he, he was able to institute in Philadelphia that led to a lot of regular season success. Monty Williams quite literally coached one of the best teams ever, like the 64 win Suns. Like they, they were a elite elite team in the regular season but all those teams at a certain point in the playoffs fizzled out due to the lack of change or chinks in the armor of their system so to me i'm trying to think of the coach that best fits philadelphia in my opinion i think nick nurse is probably the most flexible coach who has his flaws for sure but he's willing to throw things at the wall until they stick especially you know me being a Warriors fan and seeing how game to game he was making adjustments over and over and over trying to match us I think that translates well to the playoffs but in terms of him having a consistent system to rely upon during the regular season I think you can challenge Nick Nurse on that right and so I'm glad you mentioned Nurse because he's definitely a candidate Philadelphia is actively looking at but one I highly respected and considered to replace doc uh for a couple of years now I, I think with these coaches first and foremost we should be saying being an nba coach uh let alone an nba head coach is a very difficult job very difficult uh, yeah there there's a obviously a, a lack of job security and consistency but you can do a very fantastic job have a couple bad bounces have bad injury luck or unforeseen circumstances you lose a series and then now your reputation looks completely different and you have an entire media conglomerate actively waiting for you to fail so they can talk about you and very rarely will they talk about your successes i mean that's the truth of it and there's many jobs that have that kind of thing but nba head coach is just so prominent that i feel like we should at least dress that because coach bud coach monty Coach Rivers and Coach Nurse have had success in the past, uh, and despite any flaws they may have, has still been successful in this league. For Nurse, I feel like I give a ton of credit and you know leeway to what he's done in Toronto because we look at after the championship with Toronto, which again we should acknowledge there's definitely some luck that favored the Raptors with obviously the injuries to Golden State, right? If that Golden State team is completely healthy. Many people believe that is a completely different outcome, and I, I am one of them. But you get the championship in Toronto, things go well, Kawhi leaves. It's like, okay, now we have to kind of reshape and retool. Um, you know, our franchise cornerstone that we traded for, for Kawhi, 
is also not here anymore. So you you had a, an incredible thing with Kawhi, but now you have to kind of go from there. And they were competitive, but they had to find a new identity and they had to replace 28 points per game. That's not easy to do. Uh, and then, of course, we have the COVID year. COVID hit Toronto harder than any other team in the league, bar none. They were not allowed to play in Canada. They became the Tampa Bay Raptors. So imagine leaving your imagine leaving your state, in this case, leaving your country, playing somewhere completely foreign to you, having to stay there, and then dealing with just terrible injury after terrible injury. First, it was Fred Van Vliet, then OG Ananobi, then Siakam. So you never had your next three best players healthy consistently for the season. So I look at all the troubles that found them and i say like they did really well with all the bs that followed them they still were successful they still pushed every team to the brink and no one wanted to play them which i think is certainly a sign i mean we we say it all the time with the heat we just said it in this podcast spo and the heat are not a team any other eastern conference opponent wants to see not in round one not in the play-in and not and not in round two. They they know they're going to be a pain in the ass. So I give a lot of credit to Nurse and his staff for that. As far as Nick Nurse's success, he clearly is a defensive coach. He's made it work with some defensive juggernauts before. Philly has the potential to be something like that. We obviously acknowledge Joel Embiid, one of the best rim protectors and overall defenders in the NBA. PJ Tucker, I still think is an above average defender despite his age. DeAnthony Melton. We've discussed before, one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. So there's some pieces. Then there's some other pieces that don't really fit his system. They would be James Harden, Tyrese Maxey. And James Harden really, to me, is the deciding factor. He has a player option this year. And if he declines it, like a lot of people are thinking he will, he goes to the open market. Philadelphia can offer him a good bit of money, but so can the Houston Rockets, who have been for I think the better part of two months had come up in conversation as a landing spot for Harden. So if Philly doesn't have Harden uh, by the start of next season, that completely changes who I want as a head coach. Because it's not like Harden declines a player option, he leaves to Houston, now Philly has all this cap space. They don't have the cap space to use. It's It's Harden or bust, essentially. So if you run it back with Harden... I don't know that Nurse is the coach I want for this iteration of the Sixers because it goes against his game plan and what he wants from his team. And as we've also seen with Nurse, he has a tendency to play players high minutes. James Harden, Joel Embiid are not guys that have any interest in sustaining high minutes for an entire season. So those kind of philosophies probably don't work with Philadelphia despite the good things I think Nurse can bring to this team. Well said. I. It's so difficult, right, Derek? Because what people don't think about in coaching is talent matters significantly to how successful a coach can be, right? But at the same time, talent that fits what a coach wants to do is extremely, extremely important to that coach having success. And I think... As we stated, Nick Nurse is a more defensive-minded coach who also has a tendency to not really trust too many players on the roster. I mean, he was running like a six to seven-man rotation 
and playing guys 40 minutes a game this year and last year. So, so like for him, it's really going to have to be something that he trusts that he caters to for him to, you know, have faith in it. And while that doesn't bode well for a regular season, as much as these other coaches, if he's able to get into the playoffs with that talent, his adjustments will shine through and he will be emotionless about what has to be done. And I think a good coach has to be willing to be flexible and try new things for success, but also not try too hard to where you're messing up what's actually working. And I think Nick Nurse can qualify under that. But as you said, if you keep James Harden on this team with Joel Embiid, I don't know if Nick Nurse is going to get through to those guys and if his method of coaching is the best fit for Philadelphia. Only thing is, yeah. I really don't know who would fit better outside of my personal pick, Mike D'Antoni. Um, I obviously say that because D'Antoni and James Harden have a great relationship in terms of, of basketball, but also... I think the biggest issue with your team, Derek, is the offensive consistency. And I think you can say a lot of things about what happens with D'Antoni, but his offensive system, I think, would flourish with these two players. Yeah, I, I want to say before I address uh, MDA, the Harden situation, it, it kind of goes like this. So if Harden were to opt out of his deal, he would be eligible for a four-year, $202 million deal with another team. The Sixers Ooh. could offer four years, 210. So essentially, they can throw a little bit more money at him, but not a whole lot. Um, the Sixers can't get him for that fifth year because of the over 38 rule that the NBA has. So he wouldn't be that. So that advantage is already gone, despite the Sixers having the bird rights. So... If Harden were to leave, and again, Houston is primarily the target team. We really haven't heard much else. I know Phoenix has floated out. I, I personally think that's complete BS. I don't I, I don't see any world where that happens. But if he goes to Hart, uh, to Houston, for example, Harden would essentially take that money with him. All the Sixers would have is a full mid-level exception, which would be worth about $12 million. So even if you are anti-Harden to the extreme it'd be difficult to replace 20 and 10 and your second best player with $12 million a year. That That's, that's not a great supplement. Uh, but to your point about MDA, I, I think D'Antoni, who by the way, pr uh, prior to the doc hire was highly considered to take the Sixers job. Uh, uh, to my understanding, he was in the top two. It just came down to uh, a little bit of groveling and I guess a really good interview from Rivers. MDA obviously is an offensive savant. Like he has helped shape many offenses that we see in the NBA today and was very successful uh, in many places before. Of course, referring to Houston the most when Harden was at his MVP form. I think that the things I worry about MDA are this uh an over-reliance on an aging star of course referring to james harden who had stretches this season where he looked fantastic and was really a player that we saw in brooklyn i think that player that we saw in houston no longer exists uh 30 and 10 is just not something james harden can do anymore 
but I think the Brooklyn version that we saw is really, really good, but I don't think it exists for 65 plus games. Harden this season didn't even play 60 games in the regular season. So I think that is going to be kind of gone as well. My other quarrel with MDA as the coach, he has a very lax relationship with his players and scheme as well. Houston did not have a ton of strong culture, like did not have a lot of mental toughness at times. And I think that really can dig on this particular team, whereas we discussed before, Joel Embiid and James Harden are not vocal leaders. And I don't suspect that it's going to get any better with MDA. So if those concerns are still prevalent, again, I think it's just a really tough fit. If I had thoughts that MDA would come in and really reshape the half-court version of this offense, better utilize Embiid as maybe not the main screener, but setting off-ball screens for players, having other guys attack downhill a bit more, get the ball out of Harden's hands a little bit more in the regular season, so when the playoffs come around, this team is better equipped to handle different defenses. If I thought those things were going to happen, I would say sign me up. But I don't know that that is going to happen. And of course, MDA is, you know, older than some of these other coaches. So the chances of him being here for the long haul also very unlikely. Yeah, I uh, I think those are fair counters there. I think for me, what I more so look at is the success that I've seen Harden be able to have, not just with him technically at the helm, but even in Brooklyn. The Brooklyn James Harden was coached offensively by D'Antoni. Even though the head coach was obviously Ime, you still had D'Antoni there off that bench. So to me, it's like, as I look at it, it really comes down to the productivity of what the offense can be with Joel Embiid in mind. Because in my opinion, D'Antoni was super reliant on James Harden, A, because he was the best player on that team, but also because he played the point guard. And I don't think they really had a player of Joel Embiid's skill set utilized in that type of system, which would make me think that the offensive principles of what they're doing while they go through James Harden and Joel Embiid would be elevated at a much higher level, which would raise the floor of this team for success. Um, I do think you can still probably get that same productivity if he's not necessarily the head coach but i also feel like if you get strong enough assistant coaches to partner with dan tony as well you can still find good success for the other areas that he fails in i think but it really comes down to like what coach you trust the the most out of the current crop of coaches and i just don't think that these other coaches outside of, of maybe monty williams are going to be able to have that same guessable impact in my opinion. Right, yeah. So, uh, first and foremost, I think you meant uh, Steve Nash with MDA. Uh, I did, but that man wasn't coaching respectfully. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that is true. That is true. Uh, yeah, I so I think you bring up Monty, and he was the name I was going to kind of circle back to. Uh, we'll go through the other candidates, you know, briefly. There's other guys up for consideration that are less proven, and, you know, those guys, for instance, are like Kevin Ollie, who has been a name uh, thrown around a little bit. 
I, I don't know that this team, or I should say this franchise, is looking to go younger and kind of have an unproven name, so to speak, take over the helm, especially with all these vets and this like current roster construction. I, I just don't really see it. Uh, Coach Bud, who of course just got fired uh, by Milwaukee. Coach Bud is a very good coach, uh, but I do think there is a real like ceiling issue. The lack of adjustments was astounding to say the least in a lot of bad ways and i understand that Giannis was hurt for you know two games of the miami series but you have such a good roster in milwaukee it's really difficult to see how you don't pull that series out like i know you didn't have a fully healthy chris middleton and drew holiday had a couple of stinkers in there but you had a DPOY candidate in Brooke Lopez. Then you have Giannis for stretches, who we've considered one of, if not the best player in the NBA. And Drew Holiday is still an all-defensive player while also putting up, you know, all-star type numbers offensively. I with a good bench, I, I just I couldn't really see why Milwaukee still couldn't pull that out. It was a, a huge disappointment for them. And I think Coach Bud is a really good floor raiser. I think ceiling raising is another concern of his. Uh, I, so I'm with thousand percent. I'm sorry, but I I one thousand percent agree with that because it's like like Bud had a great roster, and every year his adjustments came into question. I will give him credit. The year they won the the championship, his main adjustment was taking Giannis off the ball in fourth quarters and letting Chris Middleton and Giannis work off of each other naturally to close out the game. But this year, recently, instead of doing more of that, Chris Middleton was more off the ball, and Giannis had the ball, and they just had like a a putrid offense that just threw up all over itself. So I, I really hate taking Bud and then imagining him on this team, where the clear issue was a lack of you know changes and adjustments, and I'm not sure if he would really provide that alongside James Harden and Joel Embiid. So yeah, I, I can. I completely agree. So it, it does kind of narrow itself down to names you've already discussed and Monty Williams. So as far as Monty, and I've said it before, Monty should still be coaching right now in Phoenix. I, I don't understand the idea that this particular season was a failure. Disappointing? Sure. Yeah, you could say that. Kevin Durant, Devin Booker not getting to the Western Conference Finals is disappointing. But this team was not a full team. Chris Paul, for one, was hurt. He wasn't coming back. And we, you know, have our opinions about Chris, especially at this stage in his career. But losing your starting point guard matters, regardless of, like, what they still are at this point. DeAndre Ayton. I mean, if there's someone on Fraud Watch, it's DeAndre Ayton. Who, by the way, Monty didn't want to even pay. But I'll play by Jacques Landale for a whole series. Truly. Uh, absolutely like Londale, like uh, you know is now embraced by phoenix but the fact that he stole a starting job from you know a near max center it's gross so i ayton's future is certainly up for question but the fact that you have a player you don't really want and a player you probably want but is hurt and then you have this bench that's just simply not deep enough it's just not constructed to win it all this year so I'm sure people think KD and Booker are getting excuses, but realistically, I think it's next season is really your title window where you get to like refine and you probably get like a player that just wants a shot at a ring that can actually do something for you to join Phoenix. 
And then you can really figure out your starting lineup and get to your like seven man rotation that Williams probably wanted, but he doesn't get that chance. And I understand ownership wants kind of like their own group. Uh, but I just have a lot of trouble, a, a lot of trouble kind of coming into this conclusion that, you know, adjustments was the reason they couldn't move on. I just, I don't see it. So the fact that Monty is available to me is huge. He also was my immediate replacement when Brett Brown lost his job. Because for those who don't remember, Monty Williams was the assistant coach here in Philadelphia before he got his job in Phoenix and was a huge spearhead to the offense that Philly had. And again, credit to Brett Brown and the rest of the coaching staff. But Philly had a really good engine here for the season that Monty was here. And to me, it just made perfect sense for Monty to slide in right after Brett because he was a vocal leader on the sideline for a lot of these guys and is a huge difference maker. So I think that for him not to just get the job right off the bat was disconcerting to say the least, but he's right here for the taking now. So I think he makes the most sense for what you have, especially if James Harden stays on this team. If James Harden is gone, I think you really have to start looking at something closer to a rebuild because the expectations for this team have to drop. Again, I'm not a huge James Harden fan, but Maxi isn't replacing what Harden did. And $12 million with this exact team is not going to be the same title contender, barring some absolutely craziness from the rest of the East. Yeah, I I think that that's such a tough spot to be in, and I quickly just quickly just want to clarify before I speak here. When you say rebuild, are you talking about a potential future without Joel Embiid on the roster, or rebuild around Joel Embiid? That's a good question, Gifted. Uh, I think I sadly have to weigh both. I think realistically, look, I, trading an MVP is something that only Philadelphia could find themselves in this situation. Uh, this isn't a conversation really for any other franchise, but I think you have to weigh the timeline for each player on this team and what you can actually do with the time that you have. Tobias Harris trades do not look fruitful for Philadelphia. Not I think fair. having, he, he had a pretty good postseason for what it's worth. I think he had, you know, overall was solid. But nothing outstanding and nothing that really motivates a team to take the last two years of this contract uh, gleefully. So that doesn't look so good. Again, James Harden, we've already discussed what that situation looks like. Barring a wild team coming out of nowhere and one that was down for a sign and trade, I don't see it. I also don't think a lot of teams would give up big assets for an aging star in Harden. That's just me. Tyrese Maxey. Again, he has to sign an extension first, and that whole price tag is still being discussed and will continue to be discussed, but he isn't going to turn into assets that magically turn this team into contention when Maxi is already your third best player and has, to me, clearly more potential to grow. So trading him doesn't make any sense. So then you're left with, you know, Maxi. And then your, your young guys, which would be like Paul Reed, Jane Springer, and going full tilt rebuild. And that means 
you know, losing Harden, trading Tobias for something, probably assets that you can flip or contracts that are, you know, easier to deal with, and trading Joel Embiid, which is obviously the asset that's going to get you the most. So I really haven't thought much about a Joel Embiid trade. I think it's far too early. The rest of this offseason has to actually go through, and you're going to get more desperate candidates that will, you know, throw you have that Rudy Gobert level trade right that's what you need in return is a a huge haul so like my starting position right now not that I think teams would actually just get ready to fork this up four first round picks a young talent and a good player that's going to match most of Joel's salary which is a lot and it should be. It's an it's an MVP. It's an MVP caliber player. If you didn't think he deserved the MVP this year, fine. He still was really, really good. 30 and 10 with good defense is worth a lot in this league. So that's like the thought that's going in the back of my head. But I think you have to think retool, you know, get a new coach. Hopefully it's not a, a you know, a huge system to try and adjust to. James Harden, Joel Embiid, and Tyrese Maxey is a really good starting three for success. So that's where I'm at. Again, if Harden leaves, then it's going to open the door to a new conversation about what this team looks like. Yeah, man. Wow. It's it's very tough to even like contemplate a Joel Embiid trade when he just won the MVP for this franchise and it was like a, a huge emotional moment, but... If you're talking about stylistically what can happen, I do believe that that tough conversation is on the table. Uh, From my perspective, what makes this so interesting is Doc Rivers was fired on the same night of the NBA lottery. And like that, that draft is going to impact a lot of what teams are, are trying to do. I'm not quite sure what Philadelphia has planned for that as well. But the issue with finding the realistic head coaches there's so many questions before that that have to be answered it's harder coming back are you going to try to sign and trade harden if you sign and trade harden you hard cap yourself are you going to get great assets back for harden in a sign and trade will he just opt out because he didn't like his time here like there's there's so many other questions that have to be answered first before we can point to what the best head coach is and i feel like that type of conversation is really what makes the failure this year sting more because there was so much at stake that was riding on this because i think personally right Derek, if you guys go to the conference finals and even if you lose the fact that you broke the mold and you made it to the third round it would prove that okay there's something for sure here we have to somewhat stick with this granted if that happened you might be stuck with doc rivers right now but this tougher conversation of what has to happen wouldn't really have to take place. And to me, that falls on the star players. I mean, James Harden, great game one, cool. Also, great game four. But in between those, he had a lot, a lot of stinkers, especially when he was not looking at the rim in the first quarter of game seven, even though he had some great passes. And then at the same time, the conversation about who Joel Embiid is as a player, I do think at a certain point it has to be talked about because I think now the sample size on him in the playoffs is he has been a playoff dropper. And a lot of it, to be fair to you, Derek, right, does come down to the health 
and the injury concerns about how he cannot stay healthy for two straight playoff rounds. But at the same time, he comes back. He gets himself into a rhythm. He has like two big games or whatever. And then as the series wanes on, he just doesn't have it in the second halves of games. And that's the tougher part for who Joel Embiid is because if you're not confident that you can win a title with Joel Embiid being the best player on the team, then that opens up this tough conversation. Right. So uh, to address Harden, I mean, you know, disparity from his great games to the other games. Uh, Harden was 37 for 61 in the three wins against Boston. So that's 60%. In the losses, he was 12 for 55. Ooh, damn. That's a hair under 22%. Uh, and you mentioned game seven. I mean, all the bad habits, all the things I talked to you about that I didn't like from Harden just came back in full force in game seven. The, the absolute worst time for the ball hogging and holding, the slow-mo pace, the no movement off ball and the not looking at the rim selling layups all of that happened in game seven so that definitely leaves a sour taste in your mouth and distrust for what he could be uh coming back again another year older you hate to say it but that's just the reality as far as Joel Embiid it, Embiid is such a weird case and I'm sure we'll you know have an individual discussion uh, about him eventually but the thing about Embiid what is so hard to tell you know non Philadelphia fans or maybe people that just haven't followed the team as closely there is an absolute ton of freak injury luck in this case bad luck for Joel Embiid in the playoffs I, and I cannot stress that enough it, this is not an excuse but these are the realities that Embiid is not playing at 100% in all but like two series in his career he has had freak injury after freak injury whether it's having to wear a face mask because part of his face broke because he ran to markel Fultz. it's having the odd landing this year where he tried to stay up and didn't because he didn't want to fall into a cameraman and he has the lcl the stomach bug if you want to say that's dumb as hell that he got in toronto fine but if you're on the verge of you know losing it on the floor and feeling queasy the entire time that will affect your play again if you don't really care that's fine this year again he has an injury that kept him out for multiple games i think it ended up being five, uh four games four or five games in total from like this playoff run then he has to come back and get acclimated against one of the best teams in basketball and then in game seven where he has to play the most minutes he looks really tired and out of it again not an excuse because at the end of the day it was still very bad performance but i feel like game seven is the one performance i can look at and definitively say that is a playoff dropper and i'd have to go back to really sit and think about it but i don't think there's that many other instances of that so while I agree, you can leave with the conclusion this year that Embiid for right now, at least, is a playoff dropper. That's fine. I really think he hasn't had a good shake at all of this. So that's why I want to still have some confidence that he can still be 
a better player and be the best player on a championship team. I still think that's possible. But the bottom line is you just need to build a really good team to win this league. That's just it. Like you, you can't do it with uh, there's no solo X. And I don't know that there ever really have been in NBA history, but that doesn't exist now. There's just too much talent on the floor to give in time. Even two-man X, you need a good roster. I mean, we saw LeBron and AD, what they had before the trade deadline and what they have after. The only reason the Lakers in the WCF is because they have depth. It's not LeBron, it's not AD. AD has been a generational defender this whole playoff run, and I get LeBron is, you know, probably the second, if not the best player all time, but he hasn't been this entire season. It's because they have depth and they have players they can count on. And... Again, like the Sixers didn't really have that this time around. You can say in game seven, they kind of showed up, which is sort of true. But Melton was not hitting his threes. Tuck, we know exactly what he is on offense. We know what the hell Tobias Harris is because that's two points in game six. It's not enough. So, again, Embiid has way, has a ton to prove, has so much to apologize for as far as this playoff run. But I still think the hope is there. He's 29 in his prime. And we know what you can get with a prime and bead. You just need. You know, you just need better bounces of luck your way to actually get a legit chance. And so far, Philly just hasn't had that. Yeah, it 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 has been very unfortunate for Joel Embiid. Again, he's had multiple postseasons with things that, that are plaguing him headed into the second round. And it's just hard to gauge because, again, like if you go back to the Hawks series, right, like he, he had games where he was giving them 40 points on a torn meniscus. But they all, he also had games in halves where it's like, where is the same Joel Embiid that just had 40? And that points to, OK, well, he, he fought through the pain of this particular injury here. But then in this place, it might have completely overtook him or... If he's getting double teamed, he's not making the right passes fast enough. Like there's fastest to where it's 100% the injury and it's also 100% him as a player with his shot chart and profile. But the issue right. is like, we can never come to a, okay, 100% I know this is on him, his performance and also how he's being utilized by the head coach. Like it's never a clear answer. And I think yeah. that that part of it is what makes it so tough to try to build around Joel Embiid. Hopefully he can turn it around though, but that's kind of where you are right now. Like, like, do you keep trying to make this work? I think you at least give it at least one more year with Joel Embiid, I think personally, because he's just that talented of a player. I don't think you move off of him, off of this loss. I think you have to at least try to build, you know, as you said, a good enough roster to give him a real chance and see if this postseason injury luck is going to continue on with them. Yeah. I mean, it's again, it's difficult to envision the perfect off season. Again, I think there's a lot of moving pieces that could still happen. That completely changes how, you know, we adjust and should adjust this off season. I think if everything stayed the same, you bring in a head coach just for the sake of it, we'll say it's Monty and you run it back essentially with this roster. I think you look for a Tobias Harris move. And you probably attach the seconds that you have. I think you have access to like two first rounders potentially to trade this year. 
and see what the market holds, see what that looks like. It's an ugly contract, but it's not as ugly as it did last year. So maybe you can get something for that. And then I think you give it a real shake because you have to bear in mind Harden for all of his flaws. You've really only had truly for a year. You got him, you know, at the deadline last year and, you know, it, it wasn't like a complete shake. So I feel like two years with Harden, which would what it would be, I think is good enough to build a relationship. Embiid can still improve this offseason. He is far from a perfect player. Uh, so there's more for his game to work on. And then I think you just, you really bet on Tyrese Maxey taking another jump. I think he took a solid jump this year. Uh, there's more to be done. But I, I think you have to run it back one more time. And then if it's a failure again, realistically, and be just asked out, you don't have to worry about, you know, shopping him. I think he just asked to leave. Yeah, my I think, I think you just say like, you know, he'll be 30. He'll be, you know, this would have been what? At least if nothing else, the fifth failure as far as the playoffs, like, you know, a conclusion you didn't, you know, want to get to, um, you know, barring a finals run. You know, that's just it. And I think that was what we discussed before is like Rivers only keeps his job if they end up in the finals. Hell, I mean, even if they even if they lose the finals, he might not have kept his job. But that was the only way you can guarantee some job security. So next season, if it's pretty much final, it's finals or busts, uh, you know, again, in a lot of ways, it's not just for the coach. It would just be for the players because that's all the more likely Harden walks and goes either somewhere else to chase a ring for you know something or more likely ends up in houston and gets to just enjoy the city he clearly loves and you know right off into the sunset that way uh so yeah uh, uh, so many more questions for philadelphia to answer but glenn rivers is no longer the head coach and philly fans including myself can certainly no longer use that excuse that has been valid for some time but yeah, now I can't blame Glenn anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely the future of the Sixers is going to be definitely interesting, Derek. I can't wait to continue having these conversations because, again, we're still in the middle of the playoffs. So these answers and these conclusions aren't going to be found until after the postseason is officially concluded. But I can't wait to continue having these conversations with you at times, even on your podcast, not just dribble. Uh Feel free to plug your podcast to the people one more time before we get up out of here. Oh, appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, you just said it. Yeah, not just dribble. Uh, we've discussed quite a bit of the NBA uh, thus far. I would like to you know, dip my toes in the water with WNBA content as that's rapidly approaching this week. I so that's wait. exciting. That's exciting. Uh, you know, shout out to the Liberty Aces. They just got a, a little suspension for Becky Hammond. So two games for for their head coach being out but yeah so i'm excited basketball is still alive and well even with the sixers aren't in uh and we have a game to look forward to tonight with the nuggets and lakers so you know i, I guess for felix sake I'll, I'll try and support the lakers but it should be a good game either way yeah um i'm actually very excited for this uh i still have pain in my heart i guess that golden state lost but ultimately i do think that the depth between Denver and the Lakers is just going to make for a much more competitive series with counters. And I do have to give it to Darvin Ham credit because he has 
made some adjustments in these playoffs. So I think seeing that match between Malone and, and Jokic and, and LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Ham, like I think that's going to be a very interesting thing to see. So tonight should be some fun playoff basketball. We will be doing some uh, spaces on Twitter, which, by the way, make sure to follow Derek on Twitter and also me on Twitter. I'm going to put all of our links and stuff in the description because now that we're finally in the conference finals we will be bringing back the locker room so there will be a bit more spaces about film and things that we're seeing in these series but as always Derek I appreciate your presence uh and you coming up here on the podcast I'm still trying to you know gather my own consistency with gifted hoops here but I appreciate anyone that's listening again this podcast is available on Spotify Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you consume podcasts like content it's also available on youtube for the video version so we appreciate any support that we can get so five stars like comment subscribe on youtube and all that stuff but i'll catch you guys in the next gifted hoops video and i will be having a moment where i just fully breathe in Derek and reflect on my team and our failures <laughs> in the future of those things that will be a specific episode i'm not ducking no smoke I just want to make sure State I funeral. my thoughts about it. Exactly. Yeah, got got to prepare the eulogy for Golden State. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, peace out, people. Uh, have a good one. I'll catch you guys in the next episode of Gifted Hoops in the next coming days. Peace. Peace.